Now, with a show of hands, if you will, how many people have ever, uh, in this room, how many of you have ever started a project and quickly realized that you were, like, in for way more than what you thought it was going to be? Anybody? Okay, I'll, I'll share with you the story from um, this weekend. Uh, I had decided that it was time to remove the holly bushes from the front of our house. Those of you that are laughing have probably tried to remove a holly bush at some point in your life. Um, you know, we ha- so we have these f- five little holly bushes that are in the front of our yard um, at the end of the flower bed, and then there's one kind of gigantic holly bush that looks like it's been there for a hundred years. I don't know. It's 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 about you know eight feet tall or so. I'm slightly exaggerating because my story has to sound better than it actually was. But um, so I so I start. I, I get in my mind that I'm going to go remove these holly bushes because. Holly bushes are just, like, annoying, right? They're terrible. If the, if the leaves fall in your grass, you step on them with your bare feet, and they hurt. They'll, like, actually cut your feet up. We have a two-year-old that runs around barefoot in the summertime because that's what you do when you're two years old. And if she steps on, holly, on a holly leaf, she'll actually cut her foot. And so we decided, okay, it's time to get these out, and I kind of decided um, on my own, hey, this is a good project for the weekend, not really realizing what I was getting myself into. You know, so I've got all my tools, I've got a pickaxe and a hatchet and a shovel and another shovel and I've got a reciprocating saw and I get the first little one out of the ground and it's not that big of a deal and then I start onto my eight foot tall giant holly bush and you know, six hours later I'm still working at this thing trying to get it out of the ground and I cut off all the branches and I'm shaking the root, the, the, you know, what's left of the stump, about a five foot stump back and forth in the ground and I'm trying to get it out and it's so difficult and finally yesterday um, after a long time of working and sawing and doing things I probably shouldn't be doing, you know, I finally was able to get out of the ground and drag it down to the street and I really hope that tomorrow they pick it up when they come get the trash, right? Um, all that to say is that sometimes I think that we embark on journeys and we think we're going somewhere, we wind up somewhere somewhere different, somewhere completely different than what we thought. Um, I think with this passage today, as I begin to look over it, and it's, it's a fantastic passage, that, that I think it will kind of do something to us, maybe. This, the, the passage that we're talking about this morning is from Acts chapter 20, if you want to turn there. In this passage, Paul is on his way to Jerusalem to go to see the Jerusalem church. And um, as we're going to see, everywhere that he stops, he's getting, receiving warnings from God, from the Holy Spirit, that when he goes to Jerusalem, something bad is going to happen. Affliction is awaiting him, imprison, imprisonment is awaiting him. And he gathers together the, the, the elders of the church of Ephesus. And he has one last word of encouragement for them before he begins his trek. It, it, it seems kind of innocent, and, and we can almost all put ourselves in the situation before. You know, all of us, we face something like this, where you, where you had one kind of tearful farewell. One time where you're going to say goodbye, and you don't know what, if you're going to see that person in the future. I think of like summer camp. At the end of a week of summer camp, you, you made some great friends, and it's this big emotional last night of summer camp, and you're saying goodbye to these people you'll probably never see again. You know, summer camp, maybe it was high school for you, maybe it was college, um, maybe for some of you it was on a mission trip, and you probably knew, hey, you might not see these people again that you're, that you're leaving. Okay, so it's this kind of raw emotional moment that we're looking at here, that, that Paul is really, um, he's really fired up, and he's really trying to impart kind of his final words 
of wisdom for this church. Okay, for the church of Ephesus, and I think also for us today. So if you would, uh, turn to Acts chapter 20. We're going to read verses 17 through 38. And you can stay seated. It's kind of a long passage. Now from Miletus he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. And when they came to him, he said to them, You yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews, how I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house, testifying both to Jews and to Greeks of repentance toward God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And now, behold, I'm going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. But I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course in the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus, to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And now behold, I know that none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. Therefore I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all of you, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease day or night to admonish everyone with tears. And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my own necessities and to those who are with me. In all these things, I have shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. And when he had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all. And there was much weeping on the part of all. They embraced Paul and kissed him being sorrowful most of all because of the word that he had spoken, that they would not see his face again. And they accompanied him to the ship. This is the inspired word of God for us this morning. I'm going to kind of tackle this passage in a few different sections because, because of its length. Um, and, and, at the be- and at the very beginning, again, knowing the importance and kind of the emotion of the situation, um, Paul reminds us, of what his mission has been. Okay, he reminds us that his mission has been to serve with humility and to preach the gospel. Okay, to serve with humility and preach the gospel. He did this everywhere that he went, regardless of the people that he was with. He did this with the Jews. He did this with the Greeks. He did this in public. He did it in private. Everywhere that he went, Paul's mission was to preach the gospel. He did this with threats against his life. He did not stop proclaiming the gospel. Regardless of our, of our circumstances, the gospel must be preached. Paul's doing it, and, and he's pointing to himself as his example, and he says, look at me, look at my life. Okay, and he's doing this in tears 
and with humility, and he's being deliberate and intentional. Everywhere that he goes, he is preaching the gospel. And if you look in verse, um, verse 21, he says, testifying to both the Jews and the Greeks of repentance toward God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. Here we see the, the crux of the gospel, repentance towards God and having faith in Jesus Christ. So the, call, the gospel calls us to repent of our sin and believe in Jesus. You know, repentance means turning away. It, it, it means turning away from sin. And the sin that Paul's talking about, it's, it's corrosive and it's destroying. Okay, the, the sin is, it, it so easily ensnares, the, the Bible tells us. And it, and it wraps us up and it, it makes us its slave. He's talking about repenting from that kind of sin. And actually, he talked about serving with humility. And this serving that he talks about is, is the word, the word that he uses for serving is actually bond servant, which we could say slave. So Paul is saying, repent from being enslaved to sin and become a servant of Jesus. If you flip over to uh, Romans chapter 6, just a few uh, pages from where, from where we are. Romans chapter 6, verses 22 and 23. This is what Paul says. He says, but now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So sin is actually slavery that rewards its slaves with death. Sin pays out death. In, in and it, it traps us, it entices us, it sucks us in so that we would, would follow down this road toward death. You know, sometimes it, you know, the life of a, of a Christian can be, um, you know, sometimes we don't quite understand that sin is death. And, and, we'll, and we'll kind of play around with it a little bit. Or we'll kind of, kind of think it's intriguing or interesting and, and we'll kind of creep closer and closer to it. Um, famous person said, so, you know, it's, it's, like getting, it's like letting your child play with a lion, right, with a, with a lion. It might be cute and cuddly, but it can kill you. And that's exactly what sin can do. It, it can ensnare us and enslave us, and ultimately it can kill us. So sin rewards its servants with death. And what does it say here, though? The great news. The servants of Jesus are rewarded with life. This is verse 22. You have been set free from sin, become slaves of God. The fruit you get leads to sanctification and to its end, eternal life. So the servants of God are invited into this new life and they're given the spirit of God and you see fruit in their life, this, this, the fruit of the spirit that is working in them and that is allowing them to become more and more like God and is leading them to eternal life with Christ. So we exchange slavery to death to slavery to life is what Paul's actually talking about. And, and, and here we see that repentance leads to faith, which leads to holiness. Okay, repentance leads to faith, which leads to holiness. It's not, it's not the other way around. We confuse this a lot. You know, we try to become holy so that we can have faith, so that we can repent. No, the first part, it starts with repenting of our sin, putting our faith in Jesus Christ, and then becoming more and more like him. That's the process of being sanctified, becoming holy. Okay, repentance leads to faith, which leads to holiness. And we see Paul here is talking, he says that in tears with humility he's been serving the church. He gets it. 
He understands the importance of this. This is so key to him that he is literally shedding tears for the sins of these people that they might have faith in Jesus Christ. You can't argue with, with, what, with what you've seen. If anybody takes the gospel seriously, it's Paul, and he's literally pouring himself out emotionally racked over these people, and he is in tears that they would leave their sin and turn to faith in Christ. And I think all of us believe that, and I would say that I believe that, and I, and I say it, then I think how often have I spent time in tears praying over those who don't know Christ? How often do, am I in tears over my sin and not just because of what my sin has done to me? Okay, this is the, this sin that is an offense to God. Am I, am I in tears over my sin or am I just ashamed of what it's done to me? Do I just not like the consequences of it? Paul's saying he's, he's in tears over the sin of these people and he is in tears praying that they would repent and have faith and become holy. That's what he's saying here. A little bit later on, verse 22 to 25, he starts talking about his future. Okay, he's talking about, um, if you turn back to Acts 20, he's talking, he says, Behold, I'm going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonments and afflictions await me. But I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course in the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus, to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And now behold, I know that none of you among whom I've gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. Paul knows that his future is uncertain. It's very uncertain. If we think back to to Paul's conversion back in Acts chapter 9, and Jesus had appeared before Paul and said, Paul, Paul, why are you persecuting me. Paul had been persecuting Christians. He'd overseen the death of Stephen. He was going out and seeking to enslave and persecute other believers. And, and Jesus appears to Paul and says, why are you persecuting me? And then Jesus appears to Ananias and he says this, I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. So it's kind of this, this destiny, this, this, this mission that Paul knows he is going to suffer for the gospel. He knows it. He knows he's going to suffer for the gospel, and he's resolute. He knows what he must do. Okay? And, and the people are coming to him every stop, every time the ship stops, and these prophets are coming out, and they're telling him, Paul, you know what's going to happen to you if you go to Jerusalem. They're going to they're arrest you. You're going to go through affliction. Don't go. These are people of God that are begging him not to go, and he knows that his purpose He knows that his purpose is to go. He says, and this is one of the most amazing passages of Scripture ever, verse 24, but I do not account my life of any value nor as precious to myself. If only I may finish my course. Now think about it. I count my life of extreme value to myself. Everything I do is to preserve my life. I eat, I sleep, I do the things that I enjoy. Everything is about me. And Paul's saying, I don't count my life for anything unless I finish the course that God has called me. You know, do we, we look at this and we see where is Paul's value? And his value is entirely found in his relationship with God, in his mission that God has given him. You know, where do I find my value? And a lot of times we think and we say that we value Jesus, but do I value him above everything? Now, do I say, Jesus, I will serve you in every way except for this way? 
Or I will go anywhere you want me to go except unless it's over here. Or, I will talk to anybody that you want me to share the gospel with unless it's that person. You know, do I really value Jesus with my life? Do I have him, do I value Jesus above everything in my life? And that's what Paul is saying. His life is only worth living if it's worth living in Christ. He values him above everything else. And he goes on. Then he begins to talk about the role of a shepherd. And he talks about, he refers to the church as the flock. Okay, the flock, this, this, this flock of sheep we think of. Okay, and he says that among you is going to come false teachers. He says, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock, verse 28, in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he has obtained with his own blood. He says, after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will rise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. The shepherd's job is to feed and to protect the sheep. To feed and protect the sheep. That's their role. These are, he's talking to the church leadership, and he's saying it is your job to feed and to protect the sheep. Now, Paul did everything in his, that was in his power to do. He said, I taught the whole gospel, the whole counsel of God. He says, he even kind of like in a Pontius Pilate type moment, says that I'm innocent of the blood of all of you. Okay, I, I share with you everything that you need to have faith and to live in faith. I've given you everything I can give you. That's what he says. He says that Jesus rescued the church with his own blood. Jesus obtained the flock through his blood. But he's also showing us here that everybody is susceptible to false teaching. Everyone. We're all susceptible to false teaching. You know, even after everything they've learned and everything they've witnessed, and Paul's been with this church for three years, and still there's going to be wolves that come in and attack. And even among themselves, this, this teaching is going to get twisted. He didn't hold anything back, but that's not going to stop this false teaching from happening. It's not going to stop. If you turn to 2 Timothy chapter 4 with me. If you, went to, if you went to Hebrews, you went too far. So go back just a little bit. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 3 and 4. Paul says this. He says, For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching. But having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. The time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but they'll have itching ears accumulating for themselves teaching to to suit their own passions. This has happened today. You know, we, we hear the things we want to hear. We go to the place and we listen to the person that is going to affirm what we already believe. And we hear something and it sounds good and we desperately want to hold on to it and believe it. Okay, you can see this in um, sports. If you listen to any sports talk radio or political talk radio is like the key thing to this, right? We hear what we want to hear. 
And he's saying that this is happening in regards to Scripture, that, that people will not endure sound teaching and they'll hear what they want to hear. You know, because most of us, we want an easy Bible. We want an easy Jesus. We don't want the Jesus that says, take up your cross and follow me. That, that involves like suffering and pain. That's not easy. We want the, we want the Bible that says, uh, come on. Let's go. You know, don't worry about it. Let's go. You know, when he's talking about he's talking about sanctification. He's talking about holiness. He's talking about pursuing God. And he's talking about truth. And he says that if you have ears for truth, this other stuff, you know, you're not going to be susceptible to, to teaching. But what he's really saying is that everyone is susceptible. We all want to hear the things that we want to hear. We want to hear something that's easy, and we want to hear something that's good, and we want to hear something that goes down smooth. But Jesus said, narrow is the way. And difficult is the path that leads to life. And broad and easy is the road that leads to destruction. You know, heresy comes about through churches. So what happens when churches take the word of God and they, they make it say what they want it to say. Or when people read things and they read into what they want it to read. Faithful reading of scripture does not allow for heresy. And yet, heresy comes out of churches. We could say heresy comes out of denominations at times. Heresy has been preached from this pulpit before, talking to people that have been here for a while. You know, people read things and they hear things that they want to hear, and we want to make the Bible say what we want it to say instead of allowing it to speak to us and convict us. That's what Paul is talking about. He said, watch out. There's going to be wolves coming in. Even some of, among you guys, there will be this twisted teaching. You know, beware. And he says, you know, even that he, that he took care of, of his, his own Self, he took care of, of his own needs when he was there among them. He worked hard. He took care of these things so that they would know that he was not coming in just to kind of prey on them. And we see this when missionaries go to a new place. They don't go and they start immediately asking for money to the people they're sharing the gospel with. No, churches and people send them out and they equip them with everything that they need so they will not be a burden. So there's no temptation to twist and distort the gospel for gain. That's what Paul's talking about here. So finally, verses 32 to 35, back in Acts. Paul says, And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my necessities and to those who who were with me. In all things, I have shown you that by working Hard in this way, we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus Christ, how he himself said, it is more blessed to give than receive. Christian service consists of both faith and action. Okay, faith and action. We, we, Christians are called to serve out of an overflow of a love for God. It's their devotion to Jesus. It's their cheerfulness. It's their joy that is going to lead them to serve the weak and the poor. And God has instructed us to, to hold his blessings with, with open hands and not with closed fists. So that the things, the, the, the money, the, the homes, the resources, the, the time that he has given to us, we are just stewards of and not possessors of. We do not own it, but they're owned by God. And that's what Paul is telling them. You know, beware when someone comes in among you. Beware when a church is not a giving church, when they're not looking after the poor, when they're not serving the weak. We're, we're just stewards. We're, we're partial owners. It's our job to, to, to hold it with open hands. 
He says it's more blessed to give than receive. This new command of Jesus that we hadn't even had before this. You know, Luke is, is recording Acts, and so he also recorded the book of Luke, and he doesn't record this anywhere else, but these are the words of Jesus. It's more blessed to give than to receive. And finally, we have this emotional scene of this, this farewell. I was kind of talking about at the beginning this, you know, how we've all kind of experienced something like this, this time when we're saying goodbye. Um, this is a little different, though, than, than that summer camp type of moment. I'd equate this more to, um, we've got a lot of military families here, you know, seeing your, your, your husband, seeing your, your son or your brother off to war. Because they know what is going to happen is not going to be pleasant, and they know they may never get an opportunity to see him again. You know, we, we go and we, we'll have people that come together, and, and, and if, you've been, if you've been to a service, a prayer service for someone that was about to be deployed, it's an emotional time. You know, we did this with my brother when he went to Iraq. And, and we knew that he was probably going to be safe, but we weren't sure. And it's your one last opportunity to share something with them, to embrace them. These men are, are kissing Paul, and they know how much he's meant to their lives. And Paul sees this opportunity, and he, he takes it immediately, and he goes straight to the gospel. His last words to them are instructions on how they can live their faith and how to faithfully lead their church. That's his last words. It's, it's pure emotion. It's just raw. And they, so they, they accompany him to the ship. They walk with him all the way, and they're just not quite willing to let go. But Paul says, you know what? It's time. He says, I've given you everything that you need. Everything that you need, I taught you and I gave you. These are the warnings that you need to look out for. This is the way that you're to live. This is the gospel of Jesus. This is the way you're supposed to deal with sin. This is how you repent and have faith and grow in your faith in Christ. And he says, you know what? Now it's your turn. Go. Do it. He's, he's giving over possession to them of this church, this body of Christ, and said, now it's your time. My time's gone. Now it's your time. For some of us, that that same experience sometimes has to happen. When we've heard enough, when we've listened to so much, and we know the words of Scripture, and there's nothing else for us to learn, so now it's time to go do it. Get out there. Put your faith into action and go and experience the life that God has called for you to live. Let's pray.